people said, amen, amen. As we get to the sermon today, I want to say this. Just a few weeks ago, I had the great opportunity to throw my parents a 50th wedding anniversary. Now, I'll admit, not one of my things, kind of like landscaping, planning a 50th wedding anniversary party wasn't on the top of my list. But it's one of those things that as we were in the party, as we were doing it, I just saw such joy on my parents' faces. And bringing my brothers and I together, our kids together, the relatives, the aunts, the uncles, the cousins, the nieces, the nephews together, it was great. It was great. Now, first of all, we got to celebrate marriage. And that is great. That's something that we don't do nearly enough today. We don't celebrate the marriage that God brings together and means to never be separated. But then we also had the great blessing of reminiscing memories. And as I reminisced upon memories, as I thought about what am I going to share, I mean, it's so easy to ask the congregation, to ask the attendees, to ask those present, hey, at this time, we'd like to share some memories of my mom and dad. Share some encouragement, share a poem, a song, a Bible verse, something, a prayer. But then it comes down to us. You see, we shouldn't ask those people in attendance to do it if we're not willing to do it ourselves. As I reminisced and thought about my upbringing, I shared several memories. But one of them that came to mind as I reminisced was how my dad was our hero. And then I saw this video, and that just reinforced everything to remember that, that young age and how growing up, we truly thought our dad was Superman. Now, that was a different time. Now, it's a little bit, maybe, maybe a little bit more obvious with modern-day TVs to know that our dads aren't Superman. But back then, it was a little bit more believable. My dad, he was Superman. But it wasn't just Superman. My dad, he was Batman. Here's Spider-Man, here's Iron Man, here's Captain America. My dad, he was the Hawk, he was Thor, and he was so much more. You see, my dad, here is my hero. Here's every single one of them. Because in my mind, my dad, he was faster than the Flash, smarter than Iron Man, more courageous than Superman, stronger than the Hawk, and cooler than Batman. Maybe you guys can remember your dads. Maybe your dads are in here today. And maybe you think your dad's a pretty cool guy too. Maybe you think he's pretty courageous. Maybe you think he's pretty strong. I see Titus there. He thinks his dad is pretty cool, pretty strong, doesn't he? Look at that. He's, he's agreeing. That's great. Here's the problem. Our dads don't hear it enough. We don't always hear it enough. So today I just wanted to say to my dad, for when he listens, if he listens, Dad, I love you. Thank you. To the dads here today, I want to tell you, your kids love you too. You are appreciated more than you know. In a society which often downplays the position of fatherhood, you need to know that you are appreciated and you are needed and you are greatly impacting kids' lives. And not just your kids' lives, but any kids around you. God uses you greatly to do great things not just in the lives of people at your workplace, not just in the lives of people out in society, but in your families. So men, good job. Good job. Keep stepping up. And if you're not stepping up, then I just want to encourage you, step up and see the need in society today to step up 
and teach your kids great things. Teach your kids about bravery, about wisdom, about strength, about compassion, about all these great things that heroes often teach children as they watch those movies. And as I think about that, I think, why do our kids have to pretend and watch these movies to see these characteristics that we should be showing them? Nothing wrong with the movies. I love a good superhero movie. But we also need to be there for our kids. And not just in convicting, challenging ways, not just giving our kids a hard time, which I do a lot, but also in bringing them up and encouraging them. A father has responsibilities. We have obligations. And Colossians 3.21 speaks of this, saying, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. I saw another video this week, another Skit Guys video. I posted on my Facebook page if you want to see it later. But it's off, it starts off with two men competing in what they call a dad battle. They're going to have a dad off. In fact, the champion dad, with all his dad jokes, his dadarisms, mannerisms, he walks up, he's got his best dad ever coffee mug. Some of you might have one of them. But then as he looks aside, the man next to him also has a best dad ever mug. The man looks at him, realizing, oh no, he's standing next to a champ, and he throws his mug aside, spills everywhere, breaks. It was kind of funny. Then the guy steps up, he starts, he puts his foot up, he hikes up his socks, and they just say, that's why he's the champ. He starts telling a couple dad jokes here and there, a couple mannerisms. Well, then all of a sudden, here comes another dad. He's going to be challenged. They're going to have a dad battle. And they start, they start stating their dad jokes. Then they move on to some mannerisms, or as I said, dadarisms. And here's the funny thing about this, or it's not really funny at all. As they go toe-to-toe saying these things, not all of them are so uplifting. All, not all of them are so encouraging. Many of them are discouraging. Men, often we think we're teaching our kids a hard lesson. We're just being hard on them. We want to have a little fun. We want to make them laugh. We want to make them think. And some of that is worthy. But how much do we uplift them? How much do we encourage them? Well, these men, as they, as they list off these different statements, and some of them are just goofy little sayings, men say, like, pull my finger. Men, you've said that. Then the other man says, nah, just rub some dirt on it. And then the other, the champ, he's like, oh, no, what am I going to do? What am I going to say now? Oh, I'm baffled. I'm empty. I got nothing left in the tank, and he's about to go crazy. He starts getting dazed. Oh, no. He says, he gets choked up, and he says, I'm proud of you. The whole tone of the video changes. The whole nature of the video changes. As in the other man says something like, every day I get down on my knees and I pray for you and I praise God for you. Then the other one, I mean, they, they start with these sayings like, I love you, I'm proud of you, I thank God for you, I pray for you. And then at the very end, the last guy says, who gives this woman to this man? And the other one answers, I do. Men, we have obligations to our children. But you know what? This message today, this idea today, it's not just for the men. It's for all of us. 
we must be not just discouraging, not just giving our kids a hard time and having fun. And that, that can be healthy and good too. But we need to be uplifting and encouraging them. How often do we do these things? I was talking to my kids about that too because, you know, our kids are learning from us. I was talking to my kids this week about doing the same in the lives of their friends. How often are you uplifting them? Even if you're calling them a name and you're thinking you're just being funny, we do this with each other. I said, there's enough of this happening in society. We need to do less of that and we need to encourage our friends. We need to tell even our friends, I'm proud of you. We need to tell even our friends, I'm praying for you. And I praise God to have you in my life. We have a next generation obligation. But we're going to go a little bit deeper in this today. You see, the most important obligation we have, the greatest responsibility, the greatest encouraging news we may share, it is that our God is good and does glorious things every day day. Proverbs twenty two sixteen tells us how we are to train up a child in the way he should go. We should be teaching our children the great workings of God and how to live as he desires us to live righteously, righteous ways. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. We also must declare these things. We also must proclaim these things within our families, within our children's lives, to all those God has entrusted within our care and around us. Yes, we have a next generation obligation to declare the greatness of our God and to praise him together for all he has done, continues to do, and will do forever. We must pass on the history and the reality of our faith. And not just dads, but moms, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, friends. We all have this responsibility. But we're going to use Psalm 78 for this. If you'd like to open your Bibles, please open to Psalm 78. I will have it up in, on the screen for you as well. And I'm going to be reading this morning from the Christian Standard Bible. So it's just a little bit different than the ESV and the pews. The CSB, Christian Standard Bible. Again, we'll have it on the screen. <clears throat> Psalm 78 says this. I'll give you a quick moment here. Psalm 78. And we'll be reading verse 1 to 20. There's so many great truths in this. Some of them will just really sound familiar if you've been in Tim Jacobson's men's Bible study on Thursday morning. If you're not, you should consider. It's also a great new men's Bible study at Neil's house tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. I set my alarm for it. Man, you should too. Psalm 78 says this. My people hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past. Things we have heard and known and that our fathers have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, and the wondrous works he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. So that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. <clears throat> they were to rise and tell their children that they might put their confidence in God 
and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Then they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimites, archers, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wondrous works he had shown them. He worked wonders in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, the territory of Zoan. He split the sea and brought them across. The water stood firm like a wall. He led them with a cloud by day and with a fiery light throughout the night. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as abundant as the depths. He brought streams out of the stone and made water flow down like rivers. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. They deliberately tested God, demanding the food they, ca they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Is God able to provide food in the wilderness? Look, he struck the rock and water gushed out, torrents overflowed. But can he also provide bread or furnish meat for his people? Thank you for following along. In discussing a next generation, a next generation obligation today, we're discussing one of the most important aspects of life, one of the most segments of society, and that's those under 18 or those in your household. We have a divine and blessed opportunity to teach the use of society. The ones which someday will grow up and take our places in society. Again, it's arguably one of the most important, one of the most crucial things, one of the most important groups. They are impressionable. They are vulnerable. They are teachable. And here's the thing. As they are still learning, either society and the world is going to teach them ways to live, or we are, people of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. In Psalm 78, we see that us as godly individuals are to be bringing up this next generation, teaching them the truth of God, his works, his ways, his glorious stories. Society wants to teach them a different truth of God. And as I say that, I want to explicitly state, it's not truth at all, it's lies. It's twisted truth that the devil, that Satan, that Lucifer himself have twisted around to get people to be led astray from God. But us who know God have a responsibility. We have a next generation obligation to be telling them the truth that we know through the Holy Spirit's understanding. How he blessed us, he equipped us to understand the word. You see, throughout God's word, we see God ordained instruction to teach the children. And why would this not include teaching them of God's greatness, God's goodness, his might, and his wondrous works and praiseworthy acts? My first point today is simple. As we consider our next generation obligation, point number one is our next generation obligation is to pass on our faith to them. Pass on our faith to them. Listen as I read from Psalm 78 once again, just verse 1 to 3, where Asaph is talking to his children almost, writing a song for his children and to our children and to us to learn from as well. He says this, My people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. 
I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past. Things we have heard and known as our ancestors have passed down to us. As we continue to read, we notice an emphasis on the great things God has done. Verse 4 says, We are not hide them from the children, but we tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, His might, and the wondrous works He has performed. Our children need to know who God is. And the best way to show them who God is is by telling the stories from the Bible of who God says he is. Why do we keep expecting society to tell these stories for us, other people to tell us these stories for us? If you're looking for a sign today, should I start a new Bible study? Should I start doing more? Here's your sign. Look to God's word. It tells us to do these things. We will not hide them from the children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, and the wondrous works he has performed. Think about your lives. Think about how many times in your life you probably needed somebody to tell you, remember the time that God split the Red Sea for people, his people to cross through on dry ground. Remember the time that God showed his love to you yet while you were still sinners and sent Jesus to die for you, to save you, to redeem you, and to restore peace. Remember the time when God walked with Adam and Eve. He desired an intimate relationship with his children, and he still desires that relationship with you today. We need to hear these stories, and so do those who God has entrusted around us within our lives. Here's the problem. You might have noticed there's a popular new trend around the world today where parents are saying, I'm not going to influence my kids about or for God. In fact, I'm not, I'm not going to let them make their own decision. I am going to let them make their own decision when they're old enough, which it should be their decision. But they go a step further. I'm not going to teach them about God. They can learn about him on their own because I don't want to sway their opinion. This is wrong. We have a God-given, godly, ordained instruction to raise up the children in the instruction of the Lord. To speak of the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might and his wondrous works. They might say, I'm going to let them figure it out on their own. But this creates a multifaceted problem by letting them figure it out on their own, we're almost purposely, purposely condemning them to sinfulness, to failure, to troubles, to struggles, which we have a godly ordained instruction to help prevent. Some may not think they're doing this, but the choices we make in not standing up for truth and not speaking of truth and not speaking of God's righteous ways to live and not attending church at times, not worshiping with God, with others. These things show our kids that the things of this world are more important than the things of God. We need to stand up for truth and we need to live it for them to see it. We must live it for them to see it. They must see God-like holy living within our own lives because they're watching you. They're watching you. 
The second problem with this, if I didn't list enough, is you, yourselves, we, ourselves, we are disobeying God. We're rebelling against God's very instruction for us and how we are to upbring kids. But not just kids. Those around us, we are to love one another with brotherly love. How are we to do this if we don't even tell them the most important thing that we know to be true? And that's that our God is great. He is mighty. He is mighty to save. And we have a God of love that cares for you, that sent Jesus for you. We need to bring them up with this, but not just this. The stories of old, the stories of new. God has revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ and through scripture, which tells the stories of God's actions. We understand this because he's revealed it to us. And now we have an obligation to the next generation to reveal this to others also. We have faith in him because he has revealed himself to us. And now, now he wants us as disciples to reveal him to those he places in our lives. Letting kids figure out God on their own is like saying, I'm not going to teach my children which foods are good for them. I'm just going to let them wander around the kitchen, figure it out for themselves. And eventually when they gain 100 pounds, when they are unhealthy with clogged arteries, they might start recognizing that maybe eating potato chips every single day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner was not the best idea. We know a better way to live. We, the, we know the best way to live. We must present this truth to our children and to all those who God places in our lives. In Psalm 78, Asaph decided to teach his children and us this very truth. And he's using God's stories from his history of his people to illustrate how God has worked the great things. But then he also doesn't shield them from hearing the bad things. That there were times when the people were rebellious, when they disobeyed, when they didn't live out in the faith they knew to be true. And because of that, they were crushed. Let me read this again, starting in verse 5. Asaph says this, speaking of God, He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children, so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. God gave law. God gave commandments. And it wasn't just to give them some hard instructions to live by. It's because it was the right way to live. Psalm 78, 6-7 continues and says, They were to rise and tell their children that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Point two comes from this. Teach God's workings to our children that they might better put their confidence in him. Everybody puts their confidence in something, in someone. We must teach kids what God has done. Teach kids why they should have confidence in him. To do this, we show them the things of old. We also show them the things of new. And what I mean by old is show them the stories of the Bible. Show them the law of the Bible. Show them the promises of the Bible. The good news and the bad. But by new, I mean Show them your faith also. Admittedly, not all will follow Christ. Not all will follow him initially at the very least. But more will follow and more will follow him righteously and in truth when you righteously follow your obligation to tell them. That's the question, isn't it? Are we going to follow our obligation? Are we going to give in to our obligation to preach the good news? to preach the word, 
to preach the truth, to preach the stories of old and the stories of new. Verse 8 tells us, Then they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. You see, this first generation, they had a faith crisis, a crisis of their faith. And some will have that no matter what you say. But the more that we bring up in the word, in knowing the word, in knowing the law, and knowing the promises and the hopes, knowing the good and the bad, knowing the reasons why, we can prevent that. Here in Psalm 78, Asaph is doing this very same thing. But he's also doing the very same thing we do in our churches. Every week in children's programs, we tell them about the wonders of God, who made them, who loves them, and is with them all the time. Asaph is doing this very same thing. He's telling the children and the people of the great God who has done great things. But let's not make it something that everybody else does instead of us. Continuing in verse 78, we see the problem here. Ephraimite archers turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and they refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wondrous works he had shown them. Again, everyone puts their confidence in something. And these guys, they were not putting their confidence in God, even though they've seen time and time and time again how God would provide, how God would work. And because of this, they would crumble. That's what happens. We know from God's word that those who place their trust in him will have a confidence of life which goes beyond the physical. But we also know that those who don't, their lives will crumble away. Point number three is based off this. If we don't teach the workings of God and if they don't follow God, they will crumble. These people, these Ephraimites, they did three bad things of which we should be avoiding not doing. Verse 9 tells us they shrunk back on the day of battle. They didn't believe God would fight for them. They didn't believe they had a chance. They acted in fear and not faith, and they backed away. Verse 10 would tell us they didn't live morally. They refused to live by the law. And then verse 11 tells us they forgot what God had done. They forgot his wondrous works. I pray that we would never forget the workings of God. We have something they didn't have. We have the Holy Bible within our homes written and put together, and we have the Holy Spirit within us to help us with the understanding of that, to convict us, to be reading that word every day, to be remembering it and to be recounting it, telling the stories. Our God is a great God, and we must tell of these great stories, tell of his great works. And why would we not want to? For it helps lead to salvation, to righteous living, to hope. It helps prevent sin. This Psalm 78 is over 70 verses long. We're not going to focus any more on it today, but if you were to read it, more when you get home, you'll see how Asaph here, he didn't want the children to forget God. He didn't want to forget his God's great works and all he had done. He didn't want his children to also forget that when they forgot God, when they turned away from God is when bad things happen. He showed his children how, how God is great. He is guiding. He is delivering. He is saving. He is powerful. And he is providing. God has been faithful to his people and he tells his people to be faithful to God. We must tell these same stories. 
God has been faithful to you. And we must be faithful to him. He recounts his deli- the people's deliverance over Egypt. He tells them of the Red Sea splitting, the provision in manna, the provision in quail, the provision of water. He speaks of God's great power and guidance numerous times. But again, he also talks about what happens to the people when they rebel and turn away. We must also share these stories, but so much more, for we know the whole story. Men, tell the stories of God. Teach the greatness of God. Pass on your face to others. Show all those who are under your influence God's great truth. Men and women of God live properly by faith, by remembering God's greatness, his deeds, and righteous ways. We can help others to see this also. God may be invisible, but we can see his very visible acts upon society and the earth and the universe, of which he is sovereignly in control of. We must tell our children in the world about God. As I start to close, I want to dismiss Chuck and Titus to um, prepare. Not only do we have a child dedication today, we have a baptism to follow. But I do have some concluding statements for you. As I work to conclude, I just want to give you these. Jordan's one, how do we pass on our faith to future generations? We've talked a lot about, number one, teach what God has done. Well, let's summarize this. We must read his word. Actually do it. Don't just listen to it. I know we can be bad about this. We can listen to it in the car. We can listen to it on a podcast. We can listen to it on a book. We can listen to it on a Sunday morning. But do we actually read it? And then do we take it a step further? Do we speak of his word? Do we tell biblical stories? Do we tell godly stories of how he still, that means that's supposed to say still works today. The Bible is brimming with stories of God's guidance and provision and protection. And we can tell these stories at the dinner tables, at the breakfast tables. When our kids fail, when our friends fail, When our spouse does something wrong or good, speak of the biblical stories which reinforce these ideas. Need help? Get your kids into programs that tell their stories. Get your grandkids into programs. I recently heard a great, great testimony, salvation story of a woman in this church who was saved through vacation Bible school. And not because she went, but because her kids went. Get the kids to vacation Bible school, to Sunday school, to church, to coach by Christ, to other activities. And see how God doesn't just work in those kids' lives, but the family's lives. I'm evidence of that. I was saved because my brothers got invited to youth group. And through them being invited to youth group, eventually my, my parents and me, I got invited also. And then I came to know the Lord and my parents did too. Number two, how else might you pass on your face to future generations? Teach them that God doesn't change. As Hebrews 13, 8 says, For one example, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. What he has done in the past, he can still do today and in the future as well. God doesn't just work in the past. God works today. And God's kingdom will come to be. Number three, finally, one more way to pass on your faith. Tell your kids how God has worked in your life and never cease telling your family what God continues to do. I wrote down some ideas. 
Tell your children about how you came to Christ. It's obvious, but we failed to do it. Tell them how he led you to your job. Tell them how he provided for you when you lost your job or didn't have a job. Tell them how he led you to your spouse, if you have one. Tell them how he formed them in the mother's womb. Tell each of your children how God watched over them and protected them when they were little, when they were sick. Or maybe it's you, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's somebody else. Tell them the great things that God has done in your life. Don't make it just some fairy tale thing that they read about in the Bible, but make it real to them. Tell them everything God does for you and the world still today. I will end with this idea. We love to tell stories. Tell God stories, not just stories of man. Tell God stories. God is using you. Each one of you, God wants to use you. Not just the extraordinary people, but the ordinary people also. Let him work within you and through you for the next generation. And for all those that God places in your life, I can't stress enough. It doesn't matter if you're a father or a mother or a daughter or a son. Whoever you are in this room, God wants to use you to reinforce the truth of God, his work, in his greatness in people's lives around you. Step up to the challenge. Tell God's stories. Thank you. Let's pray. We'll close in song. And then after song, stick around for we'll have a child dedication and then we'll move to baptism. Lord, we thank you for your good. We thank you for the works which we see in your word. We thank you for seeing how mighty and sovereign you are in charge of all things, in control of all things, and how everything works together for your ultimate goodness and plan and purpose. We thank you for seeing that just as you saved your people at the Red Sea, you saved your people through Jesus. We thank you for seeing that that includes us and that you want more to come to know you. We thank you, Lord, for not just teaching these things, but ingraining them within our very souls and lives because you want to use us to also teach others. Thank you for the blessing that we have of children and of people in our lives which need to know this great news, this good news. May we step up and tell God's stories. Tell people of you, your greatness, your works, your righteous ways and the ways which we must also live or strive to live every single day. Thank you for the blessing we have of being your children and you being our father. And it's in your holy and powerful name we pray all God's people said, amen. Please stand as we have this final song here.
glory, God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great, how 